Okay, everybody, welcome to episode one of the Bomber Brothers podcast. Of course, we had about 40 episodes before, but now we have a, a new platform. We are officially part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts now. Moving on up in the world, Sean and Ryan uh, with you. For anyone new to the podcast, we talk Yankees baseball every week and try to have on as many great guests as we can. We think we're off to a good start this week with Mark Carrig of The Athletic joining us in a little bit. But first, Sean, first episode uh, here on the new stage, and I'm uh, happy to be here with you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Ryan and I are brothers, obviously. Uh, that's why we named the, the podcast such. And we just started it because we like to talk about Yankee baseball and wanted to do so, I guess, uh, with our, our computers recording us do so. So I'm excited uh, to be part of the Pinstripe Alley community or family, whatever you want to call it. I know you're already there. You read a ton of great articles for them. And uh, this is a great next step. I'm very excited. Yeah, so anyone anyone new, welcome. And um, yeah, here come come here every week for Yankees content. We we have on guests like Carrig in a little bit. We've also had Brian Hoke, uh, Jack Curry, plenty of good names to talk Yankee baseball with us. And there's plenty of topics to talk about this week, both good and bad. And I guess we could start with the bad Luis Severino. Uh, the MRI that everyone will be watching taking place today as we record on, on a Tuesday as he's going back to New York. He was throwing at, I think, 120 feet on flat ground and and felt some discomfort in his shoulder. And as soon as you hear that, obviously it becomes pretty doom and gloom. Shoulders are nothing to mess around with. And this is supposed to be the ace of the staff. He was one of the top five starters in the league since 2017. So, Sean, what's what's your concern level? Uh, with a shoulder, my concern level is always high. Um, I'm really, uh, worried about what's going on there. He, I'm a little confused though, because if I read it correctly, he's not experiencing pain. He just doesn't feel right, which I don't know if that's just then stiffness or, or what, but, um, I'm really interested to see what the MRI brings. Um, you know, like, like Mark said, when we were, we were interviewing with, which we'll play shortly, shoulders are, are really scary because there's a lot more unknown, uh, with his shoulder. Yeah. And, and like you said, he, he, he said that it just felt off that it's something didn't feel right. So hopefully this is just Severino being, uh, cautious like he was back in spring training when he just threw one slider and realized something didn't feel right and had himself taken out, which is the way to go. We don't need another Tommy Canely this year trying to pitch through injuries and trying to hide the fact that his velocity is down five miles an hour and he's getting bombed. So we don't, that's not something we need. Severino wouldn't be doing the Yankees any good if he tried to pitch through this, so good on him to bring this up to the medical staff, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's not anything serious, but we we brought this up with, with Mark in the interview, but does, does this lead you to look at a guy like Dallas Keuchel? I don't know if he still lives over in the Houston area as a former <laughs> member of the Astros, but while the Yankees are down there, it might not be a bad idea to throw him on the bus and bring him back up to the Bronx. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I don't know how ready he is. I mean, we've seen what's happening with Gio Gonzalez who, I mean, he's not the pitcher that, that Dallas Keuchel is, but still, I mean, he'd have to uh, at least a month before he'd be ready to pitch in the major leagues. I, I would expect, I mean, Gio was pitching, but he's facing high school kids and, and we've seen what happens now that he's, he's facing major leaguers. 
or minor leaguers, excuse me. So um, I, I don't know how ready he is. Um, I know we touch on this with Mark, but I think the emergence of his, at least in his first two starts of Domingo Herman has been encouraging as a fill-in. I mean, I don't know. How would you feel about a Like, let, let's play out both scenarios, because obviously we're, we're recording before uh, before the MRI comes out. Let's say Seve's done for the year, God forbid, like the worst-case scenario probably, hopefully. Um would you feel comfortable with a rotation headlined by Tanaka and Paxton and then having Hap and a, a gamble on Domingo, who looks like he could be a good gamble right now? I mean, he looked really good in his first start of his career, but this year both of his starts have been really good. And then you have CC bringing up the rear. Would that be the worst thing or would you want to go out? And now I don't care about the money. But if you're going to get Keuchel, you're going to have to put some years on, and he's clearly in the decline phase of his career. So that contract's going to look really bad as it goes on. It's not like a Harper or a Machado where even at the end of their deals, you're like, okay, I still have a productive player. Yeah, well, if anyone can absorb a couple, a year or two of a bad contract, it's the Yankees. And if it's going to help them now, I'm all for it. I personally think they should try to go get Keuchel. I mean, I, I completely understand the argument against it, but look, if even if... Even if he's not immediately ready, which past experience shows he won't be, look at guys like, uh, you know, Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb or uh, even a position player Neil Walker with the Yankees last year. These late signings take a little while to get back into the swing of things, which is completely understandable. So maybe you let Keuchel get back in the groove and pitch in the minor leagues while while Herman is doing his thing in the starting rotation. I just I don't know how I feel about Herman in the rotation for a full season yet because you know he's still young he's not used to a full season grind and because of these injuries he's kind of being thrust right into a regular starter role can he handle 30 starts right now or are you risking another injury to what could be a a key young prospect in Herman who has shown a lot of promise same thing could be said about Loizaga he was kind of thrust into the fold last year and he doesn't have the same upside as Herman I would say but he was kind of thrust into the scene last year and started struggling with injuries. And you could say that maybe had something to do with his immediate workload. So I guess I'm just worried about adding on to injuries to mask other injuries where I think, I don't think Keiko would be crazy expensive. Is anything crazy expensive for the Yankees? Uh, they didn't, they didn't bring on a ton of money. They didn't sign one of those mega free agents in Harper or Machado. So why not get Keiko to help your cause? Yeah. I mean that, you know, like I know they could absorb a bad contract, and we've been watching it with Jacoby Ellsbury for years. <laughs> who, you know, honestly, it looked like hey, we could have used him, but um, we'll we'll get uh, you know, Mr. Clint Frazier has been really really stepping up. Um, but yeah, I, I mean that I I agree with you. I think they should go out and get somebody. I just I don't want to give Keuchel five years or something like that because oh no, that's, not five. Yeah, that that's a little bit nuts, and um, you know, you, you see what happens with older pitchers. Not everybody can be CC and adapt late in their career, so we'll see. I mean, hopefully, though, it's just you know, it, it's nothing, just a little tightness, and he's back. Let's say in June, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I've, even best case scenario, I would imagine you're looking at June or probably mm-hmm. even after the All Star break. He hasn't even started throwing off a mound yet. You have to figure in. Once he starts his, once he starts a theoretical rehab assignment, you probably have what a month until he's back. So yeah, I, I, you're looking at 
the all-star break now obviously the original hope of may is is out the window now now here's the other wild card in, in this you know we talked about you know you don't want to overextend Herman and in terms of innings and stuff like that we do have a reinforcements coming in july in montgomery who has proven he's a very good major league pitcher um so that that's another way that they can go yeah absolutely I mean, a lot of people forget montgomery was a. Uh... A quiet rookie of the year candidate and uh, i forgot <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he had uh tommy john after was it in houston when he had when he had that trouble yeah i year? think that was the game that they i think they beat Ver, that was the game they beat verlander when um sanchez hit that home run in the ninth well when and, giles uh, punched himself in the giles face. punched himself <laughs> in the face i, I believe so their astros got a, a closer that punches women in the face instead of one that punches himself so it's yeah. an interesting move Indeed it is. Well, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the game. I, I was just reading that in Inside the Empire, that new book by um, Bob Clappish. I got to pick that up. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you see what he said on the Sweeney, or here, what he said on the Sweeney Birdie podcast about why the Yankees didn't get Machado or Harper? No, I did not. Um, I, I believe I'm recalling this correctly. So if it was somewhere else, then let me know. But I know Sweeney tweeted it. The the real reason was that they didn't feel that they'd be good in the locker room, and they were really concerned about them fitting in. And that after they met with Machado, they thought he'd be bad in the locker room, and they never even entertained Harper because of that. Yeah, Harper seems to be a huge clubhouse cancer in Philly right now. They really seem to hate him over there. Not yeah. Forget the fact that they celebrate with every 450-foot bomb that he hits, and the team, the... The team seems to love him. And... And I, I, again, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. We went down a lot at last uh, this off season. Uh, any listeners coming over from our original platform know how we felt about the lack of interest in, in both of these stars. But if that's a concern, where was that with with Araldis Chapman? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, what Chapman did is disgusting, but um, I think they're talking about more of how he they interact with other players, which I haven't seen because it seems like Machado and Harper are very well liked by their their peers. So I, I don't really understand it, but it is what it is. I, I mean, at least with Harper going to Philly, we got after he hit the home run in Washington, cut four, tweeted flip, 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 Philadelphia yes. for his bat flip. <laughs> so at least we got that. Like it's not a total loss. That's true. So. Always, use, always could use a good always sunny reference. But I mean, Machado was a total loss because we got Troy Tulowitzki, and I believe you were the closest in the uh, in the bet of how long it would take him to get hurt. Yeah, I think I said, I think well, I jokingly but semi seriously said March twenty eighth, which was opening day, but uh, that wound up actually being pretty close because he wound up getting hurt what April third, April second. I can't even remember. Well, no, I don't think it was that early, was it? That might have been. Who knows? It feels like it. But um, back back to the rotation, the Yankees have actually been doing a pretty good job of masking these injuries rotation-wise, at least. Like we said, Herman has been great. And uh, last night, another great, great outing from Masahiro Tanaka, who has been really, really good through three starts. Uh, some, some, some were a little frustrated with Boone taking him out at, I think it was 79 pitches. But even Tanaka said he was like, I, I felt like I exerted myself in that sixth inning to get out of that jam. And, and I mean, Tanaka has just been brilliant, which is huge because with Severino out, him and Paxson are going to have to be big. And uh, Tanaka has certainly stepped up to the task so far. 
Well, here's what I like about – well, first, you just brought up Paxton, and I know we have so much to get to. But just really quick, I love the way that even though he clearly had very little in his start in Baltimore, he gutted it out. That was impressive. That's what you want to see out of one of your top-end pitchers. So that's really encouraging for him. We saw what he could do when he was on in his first start against the Orioles. And then we saw now what he could do when he's not on. He could still pitch a winning baseball game against a, a low-level team. Um, Tanaka, I, I, you know, I, I love to kill – Boone with his bullpen management, especially um, as everybody will, will learn because it frustrates the hell out of me. But I had no problem with him taking Tanaka out. I actually was surprised that he left Tanaka in because, I mean, after the fourth inning, once he gave up that home run to Altuve, he was a different pitcher. I mean, he gutted it out and, and stuck with the game plan. But um, I, I thought taking him out was absolutely the right move. Um at that time what happened afterwards i mean letting britain face all those right handers i think he should have went to Ottavino earlier to put out the fire then you could have put green in in the eighth but i mean whatever it's one game you you know i'll I'll, i'm not going to harp on that but you know i I had no problem with him taking tanaka out right there and tanaka needs to step up and and so far he has and i think you and i both appreciate and understand the kind of pitcher tanaka is he's he's the kind of guy that has those blow-up games but he's also a really really talented big game pitcher um, who makes you feel good every time he takes the mound usually. Yeah, absolutely. And of course he gets burned by the home run at times, but uh, David Cohn pointed out on the broadcast yesterday that it always seems to be solo home runs that he gives up. And you look at the percentages and he's absolutely right. At least when Tanaka has those mini blowups, it seems to be the most minimal damage possible, but he hasn't been dealing with that so far through three starts. So great stuff so far from Tanaka. And you, you mentioned the bullpen decisions, which are always going to be put under the microscope with Aaron Boone since last year, pretty much. But, I, I mean, do you think a concern was maybe Odovino's workload so far? Because he has thrown a lot of innings in the early going. Maybe he wanted to give him a rest. And Britain's splits are, are fairly equal against righties and lefties. I, I, I just think I, th- I think if Britain is a little more efficient, doesn't walk, um, I'm blanking on the. Um, uh, if he doesn't walk Tyler White on four pitches, it's probably mm-hmm. it's probably a very different outcome. But uh, maybe he was just worried about Odovino's workload. But then he gets put in in the next inning. So yeah, I, I that's what know. I was gonna say. Yeah, I'm well, not sure we'll what s- the thinking was. Yeah, I, I that's the, the problem is I can't find the reasoning, the line of reasoning there. So just like in the playoff game when you went to uh, whatever, let's, let's not go there with the whole Lance Lynn <laughs> debacle. Um, anyway. So, I mean, you know, the rotation is what it is. Obviously, we're concerned about Severino. You know, we talked. I know the episode, we had trouble uploading it, but we talked about the injuries to Stan and Andujar. Um, I think Tulowitzki was hurt by the time we recorded, but he might not have been. I think he got hurt that night. Yeah. Um, so, this, this does provide opportunity for guys. And one of the guys that has been taking advantage has been Clint Frazier, having huge home run um, Saturday night in Baltimore. And following it up with, I believe, two dingers on Sunday. Yep. Um, what do you think about the Mr. Frazier actually making good on his his claim to uh, to a regular spot? I I love it. I, he's a great guy to have on the team. It seems like obviously everyone always raves about his energy, but his seeing that uh, seeing that bat speed in action is definitely fun to watch. And I think it was Jack Curry that pointed out that Frazier had been struggling. Uh, with the breaking ball before uh, he got hurt with the concussion symptoms. And I think his first three home runs were all off sliders. So that was that was really nice to see. And then he also shows you that he can pound a fastball, which he did against Verlander 
uh, last night, which he roped off the top of the wall after working a really good at bat. I know Verlander was over a hundred pitches by then, but it, he still that was his second hit of the game. I'm pretty sure. So that's that's a top tier pitcher right there in in Verlander. So I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing from Frazier so far. You obviously hope he can maintain that. You know, was a first round pick. I, I still think Sheffield was the bigger prize in that Andrew Miller deal and they got James Paxton out of it so that was great but Frazier has a Frazier has a definitely an opportunity to stay in an everyday role and, and hopefully start getting uh Brett Gardner some rest as Stanton comes back hopefully soon because they they can't keep trotting Gardner out every day it's gonna become a repeat performance of the second half last year when he when he fell off a cliff as he's another year older now as much as we love Gardner we know his second half struggles since pretty much 2015 have been have been apparent. But Frazier, absolutely love love what I'm seeing from Frazier, and hopefully it continues because with uh, with the injuries piling up the way they are, they they need any source of offense they can get. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, I'm really excited, and, and you brought it up. I think that his uh, his knowledge and control of the strike zone has really improved from last year and the previous year to this year, which is, is huge because I mean, that's so much of the game as a pitcher being able to control the zone. And then as a hitter being able to not expand outside of it. So that's, that's a really good leap in maturity that we've seen so far. And, and hopefully that, that continues. Uh, he's have been having really competitive at bats and, you know, I know this is another one of the things we talked to Mark about, but one of the guys that's not having competitive at bats is Greg Bird. And I really thought this would be an opportunity for him to seize back some of the fan base i know i texted you after all i think after the anduhar injury maybe tulowitzki and i said you know this is a good opportunity uh for sanchez who will get to to win over back some of the fans that have abandoned him and i thought the same thing about bird but um he's really looked terrible up there he got the sombrero yesterday and he's been striking out a ton really not i mean i know he hit the home run on opening day but it wasn't one of those like it wasn't a bomb like a laser or anything like that he really hasn't been making Great contact. What do you make of Greg Bird's at bat so far, and what do you think the future holds for him? Yeah, I don't. Uh, man, it, it it. There's not really much you can say positive about Bird right now. It's it's not even that you can't even go to the advanced numbers and say, well, his hard contact percentage is still up because it's not. He got, he hasn't even been putting together good at bats. Even even on that opening day, he got a hold of one, but that was also after a three straight not good at bats at all i think it was three strikeouts and then he hit that home and he was down oh two yeah so it's it's not what you want not at all uh bird it's it's frustrating because we've seen what he can be not just in 2015 when he broke onto the scene but down the stretch of 2017 and in the playoffs when he came back healthy and then we saw what kind of spring training he had and and you know the health thing is becoming less and less of an excuse because he's been healthy now for a while he had a full spring training and now he's had a full two weeks in the regular season which is still a small sample size uh i don't know maybe he's getting reacclimated to major league pitching every day which obviously in spring training you're not seeing um a regular major league pitcher every day so it's something that probably needs to be corrected sooner the yankees are going to have a decision to make and mark dives into what some of those decisions can be luckily the Yankees do have some choices with that avenue but at the same time can they really take one of those 
options right now and send him down to the minor leagues when there's ob- when there's already a lack of depth on the major league roster. Absolutely, it's just um, you, you know the, he still has time because of all the injuries, but the the hourglass is, is running out for at, at least for his stint right here. All right, well we'll talk to Mark Rigg about that and a bunch of other stuff. So he uh, he was here to talk with us earlier. The national one of the national baseball writers for the athletic and first we'll take a quick break and then we will talk to mark Rigg of the athletic Okay, we're joined now by Mark Carrig. He is now one of the national baseball writers for The Athletic, our, our first ever guest on the old platform, so it was fitting to bring him back for our first episode on the new one. Mark, thanks so much for coming back and talking with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me back. So first news is the latest news in the Yankees' long line of injuries. Severino still feeling discomfort. He hasn't thrown off a mound yet, but now he's heading back to New York to get an MRI. Just just how concerned are you if you're the Yankees, and, and does this further the need to maybe look at a guy like Dallas Keuchel who's still on the market, and especially with Gio Gonzalez struggling pretty badly in AAA right now? Yeah, I think that's definitely a reason for struggle. This is a guy in Severino that the Yankees have just extended. He's obviously a huge piece of what they're trying to do, not only now, but moving forward. And you're looking at a shoulder issue here. And I think, obviously, any arm issue is a problem, whether it's an elbow or a shoulder. But generally speaking, shoulder things are scarier. Um, there's less known about it. Uh, it it's, it's tough. So, yeah, I think... This setback is scary for the Yankees, and it could end up, you know, forcing them to look at other options. You mentioned Gio Gonzalez, somebody who is down there um, and not doing very well. You know, you, you also mentioned a guy like Keuchel, who's on the market uh, right now. But uh, you know, it, it's the problem with a guy like Keuchel is that he hasn't really, you know, had a spring training, so it's not like He's someone that you could sign and plug right in, right? There's still a period of time where um, he's got to get ready, get ramped up. And if you look at the track record, by the way, of, of guys in that situation who held out, didn't sign until late, had an abbreviated spring training or none at all, uh, you, those aren't pretty numbers either. So I, I think... This is a really tough spot for the Yankees, and now you're really leaning on probably, most likely, some younger arms to help fill that void. So, uh, yeah, the Severino thing is major. It's scary. Uh, And, you know, sort of because it's a shoulder thing, I think it makes you look at it even a little bit more differently than if it had been an elbow thing. So, you know, again, neither of them are good, but I think shoulders in baseball, you tend to get your, your radar up because... Uh, sometimes those can be really bad or, or linger. And so, yeah, Yankee's gonna, he's getting his MRI today in New York. And uh, obviously that is uh, 
you know, going to be well watched because it, it can be very meaningful not only now but obviously moving forward. So moving on to another shoulder injury, one that seems to have healed fully. Gary Sanchez has been on a tear. Three home runs on Sunday. Had another uh, hard hit single yesterday. He's, his X stats are at the top of the league in almost each category, whether it's X slugging, X WOVA, and that's that's about where he was in 2017 in, in the top 10 percentile when he hit 33 home runs despite missing a month. So, you know, you you were around the team all last year. Do do you think that this shoulder issue that was corrected by surgery in the offseason was what was sapping Sanchez of his power last year obviously so much was made of his season-long slump but the sample size for him being one of the most productive catchers in baseball was greater than his slump and now it seems like he's back to normal and then some so far to start the season you know I'm glad you brought up some of those advanced metrics and yeah I'll tell you why I think a lot of people especially folks that don't want to really look at it, say, well, you don't really need that stuff to understand baseball, which is true. I mean, I think you can appreciate the game without ever having looked at those things. However, looking at advanced stats and metrics, they can help you isolate maybe instances where someone has been playing hurt, right? Like, And, and this, I think, is a great example of it. So... To answer your question, yes, I think the shoulder issue clearly had some impact uh, on Sanchez last year. Um, heck, it might have had an impact on Aaron Judge at one point, right? Like he had a shoulder hit too. So, um, you know, I think for hitters, it's obvious that this is, uh, uh, you know, any shoulder issue potentially can sap power. Um, I think with Gary last year, there was also the fact that it was mental. I think it all kind of went together, right? And sometimes you'll see someone get hurt. The results aren't there. It starts to weigh on them. And now it's all these things going wrong. Um, you know, I think a lot of people sort of are, are wired that way. So, yeah, I think Gary Sanchez is clearly healthier. And you look at him, he just looks better at the plate. But forget the results. You just he looks better there. And, um, yeah, I, I think you were looking probably at a shoulder issue that, that had some kind of impact. I think it's one of those things where it probably impacted him more earlier. Um, you know, maybe got a little bit better uh, going on, but like uh, at that point, you're also looking at a mental issue, right? Like when, when you're hurt and try to play hurt and results aren't there, all of it kind of snowballs and now you're starting to dot yourself some. I think you certainly saw that last year too in, in Sanchez, but clearly he's passed that now and I think folks sort of anticipated that, I would think, right? Beyond, like, you're always going to have the set of people that are panicking and like, oh, this guy's through. Um, but I think most folks who'd watched this, you know, watched his career and, and seen what he was as a hitter, there was too much talent there to think that this is going to be a thing where he just sort of disappeared. Like, I, I think, you know, a lot of people around the team, you know, would say that he was their best hitter. Which is saying something, considering the type of talent the Yankees have had in their lineup. So, um, you know, so in one way, it's really not that surprising, considering who the player actually was. And and again, you mentioned X stats and, and how this is more in line with what we'd seen before. And I think that's a great reason why you should look at those things. You have something to compare it on. It's not just your eyeballs. And I think that's you know been super insightful in his case already. 
Mark, you mentioned um, a, lot, a lot of people thought, you know, thank Gary, maybe is the best hitter out of, out of the group that came up. But for a while, we, we kept hearing that Greg Bird was the one that they were the highest on. And, I mean, it's really easy to fall in love with that swing. But, again, here we are only two weeks into the season. But, really, he's having a lot of non-competitive at-bats. Um, where do you see this going with Bird in, in terms of his end game with the, with the Yankees here? Well, I, I, don't, I think he's still got multiple minor league options left. So the one thing that is different from some cases where, you know, young player who had a lot of promise around them kind of struggles is that sometimes those guys are out of options. You end up having to trade them, right? Like they're not going to get their waivers. They're, they're gone. But I believe they've still got options on this guy. So, you know, in one way, Right, if you're the Yankees, you're like, well, when is this going to happen for this guy? Because it's all you've heard about. And obviously, there's been reasons why his development has been slowed, right, with injuries and whatnot. But at the same time, if you have options, which they do, then you know, I don't know if there's like really a hard deadline to do something there. And you know, so maybe you send the guy down, and obviously that's not an ideal situation if you're Craig Bird. But if you retain a measure of control over a guy, then I think it would be wise to use it. So, you know, like, I, and my belief is, like, I don't think he's burned an option yet, which is odd. But anyhow, like he, that gives you some flexibility. But certainly, at some point, you start to wonder if it's a thing where, hey, you know, this isn't going to work here for, for whatever reason. And I think, you know, that's a guy that, you know, perhaps you, you find a way to trade him or whatever, but I don't know if they're necessarily under pressure to do that if you've got control over the guy, you know, with options. Right. And a guy that has been up this year and, and was up last year and has looked really good so far is Domingo Herman. I know that um, the stats say that his swing and miss stuff is, is, is right up, is up there uh, in the top of the league. What do you think Domingo's uh, ceiling could be with the Yankees? Well, I think Domingo Herman is a legitimate major league starter. You know, it's funny. I, the first, I had covered the Mets for five years before I went back to the Yankees beat last year. But my first day in spring training happened to be a day where the Yankees were playing the Mets in St. Lucie. And that's typically, you know, because St. Lucie is so far from Tampa. You're not getting some of the, you know, the bigger names to make that trip, right? So... I'm up there, I'm watching the game, and there's this kid on the mound that I've never heard of. And his stuff is awesome, okay? Like, the, the Mets, because it's a home game for them, they've got the real players in there. And here's this kid from the Yankees, again, I've never heard of him, but all I can see is that, you know, there's life on his fastball, and he's throwing his changeup that's got some guys fooled, and it looks like he's got an idea of what he's doing. And I'm like, man... Who the heck is this? Because if this is just some rando that they've sent across the state to pitch against the Mets, and you know, and I've never heard of the Mets or, or the Yankees are in pretty good shape. Well, I look up the kid's name; it's Domingo Herman. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa! Like that's that is so, so. I mean, it left it such an impression on me. Then, of course, you know, you saw him come up last year. Um, obviously, young, and but you can also see the upside there. So. You know, when you ask about a ceiling, I think 
guy like that, he's he could be a, a, a fixture in the rotation. I'm not saying he's a one or anything like that, obviously, but he's a guy that I think at some point could round out to, to be like a guy that you lean on to make like 25, 30 starts a year um, and, and feel decent about it. So it, he's got great stuff, and I think he's, um, you know, uh, you talk to him and, and you're around it a little bit, and you kind of see that he's got this ability to learn and get better. But I think the stuff is so good, and he already has an idea of what to do with it, that uh, if this guy stuck around and became one of those guys that you just pencil into the rotation, he could bank on making 25, 30 starts. It wouldn't surprise me at all. So, and that's a pretty good ceiling, right? Like, legitimate major league starter these days is nothing to sneeze at. And, and I think he's totally got that within his grasp if he continues to improve and sort of show what he's shown. You know, he's gone well, right? Like, I think you've seen his starts where he's he's pitched well. It's in there. And, and so, yeah, I, I think he's a potentially just a, a good major league starter I'm, I'm sure all the Yankees fans would, would sign up for that and we've been excited about him early uh, one of the many really great pieces you've written for the Athletic came out I think it was on opening day about all of the first year managers that came up last year starting their second year obviously focusing on Boone with the Yankees um, you know Boone always talks about his relationship with the players um, and, and of course last year finding his comfort and everything like that um, there's still a lot of people that are critical about his in-game managing decisions. Uh, it, Girardi was, you know, more known for that and not known for for getting along with the players. Do you think Boone's in-game managing um, has room for improvement? And if so, how do you think they go? He goes about uh, improving himself. Is it just from experience, or, or is there are there other ways he can improve? I think honestly, it's experience. Um, you know. I, as with any other job, I think you just get better at it the more reps that you get. And, you know, you, you referenced that piece on opening day. I talked to Aaron about that probably three weeks before the season began. And, you know, we're sitting in his office in Tampa, just he and I, and, and so I'm asking these questions. And I'd asked him about his first opening day as a manager. And he's like, to be honest with you, I was more nervous for the first game of spring training. Like, what? <laughs> like, why? Like, spring training doesn't matter. And he's like, well, you got to remember, I haven't done this ever. And like, to his credit, I'd forgotten that. Right? Like, he hadn't managed to get, so like, he was telling me he didn't know where to stand or how to, like, how, how the communication went to go get a, a pitcher to warm up or whatever. Like, I mean, he just hadn't done it before. So, again, like, after having covered him for his, for his first year, like, I, at some point I sort of forgot that. So I think that's a credit to him. Like, I mean, clearly he showed some improvement. Um, can he show more? Sure. Um, but I think that, to me, is a thing that comes with more experience. It's also a matter of just fine-tuning the way he sort of manages a bullpen. And, and you know, and... The other thing is, and this is something that I feel like kind of goes overlooked with a lot of managers now, like there should be room for someone to sort of find their own path and change their mind, right? Like, I mean, I think you've seen it over time and this comes with experience and, and with experience comes sort of like, you know, more security in what you're doing and, and more confidence in what you're doing. But, you know, like maybe he changes at some point some of the, how, how he looks at certain things, whether that's because he's getting exposed to more data or 
or maybe he's deciding, you know what, I'm going to value sort of like the, the personal touch and, and, and getting a sense for somebody's emotions in real time and, and putting more value there. I think that when you talk about that piece, I talked to Gabe Kapler and the Phillies who had the same sort of revelation to himself that at some point, you know, you learn as a manager that maybe it's not all about seizing every single little, like, um, advantage based on data. And sometimes it's more important to read the player on the field at that moment and have that shape what you do. So I think there is room for that. And so Aaron Boone, yeah, I think there are times where you can find a better balance there for sure. So I know something last year he, he tended to sort of follow along with the metrics, you know, and, and go along with what was happening there and, and, and sometimes, you know, overlook things that were happening, you know, emotionally or, or, you know, spotting where a player was like just in that moment. So maybe he finds a different mix there too. So yeah, I think there's room for improvement. But I also think that he showed a capacity to learn. And, and I think, you know, that's what sort of struck me. Is like, I, I forgot, having covered him every day last year, I forgot that he hadn't done it before. So that, t- that tells me that he had attained some level of comfort with it for sure. And, you know, I think that will only continue as he gets more experience. So, Mark, we're only, again, two weeks into the season, but there's already some, some early trends or storylines that stick out we mentioned Sanchez we mentioned Herman and there's also some on the not so great side Hap giving up a lot of hard contact early on uh, Chapman's velocity which seems to be working its way back to to normal is, is there any anything you, you've noticed from anyone on the Yankees early on where you don't find yourself thinking you know this will correct itself any trends whether it be positive or negative that you think could become the norm as the season goes on well you mentioned Chapman and his velocity which is going to always be a topic of conversation I'm I'm, at some point that velocity is just not going to be what it used to be and that's a matter of age and then you know I think a lot of people can see that but what I'm curious about is how he goes about working when that trend line begins to establish itself as going downward right or if it doesn't take all the way back up is he going to lean so hard on the slider is it good enough pitch to be able to do that with and I think you know if I'm not mistaken he threw it a ton a ton and I think there was some purpose behind that, right? Like, I, I think you're looking at a guy that realizes that, hey, he's not going to throw, you know, that hard for the rest of his career. And, you know, because he threw so hard, he's had a lot of margin for error, right? That's what velocity gains for you. There's more margin for error. So when it goes down, you've got less margin for error. How are you going to compensate for that? So I think what's intriguing about a guy like a Rollis Chapman is like, all right, How's he going to pull that off? And, you know, I think he can, right? I think there are times when you see that slider and he throws it. It's like, wow, that's a pretty nasty pitch. Um, but when he has to do it, I think that's when it gets intriguing. So I'd be curious to see where that is. There's always going to be velocity to watch with him, you know, because people are just fascinated by how hard he throws and all that. But, again, I, I think I'm more interested in when all right, if that doesn't come all the way back, which with age is always possible with somebody like that, does he have the tools to adjust? Because, you know, that becomes the biggest question. And 
really the separator of whether he be, you know can maintain um, you know something close to the level that he's at, or if that's going to be a thing where there's going to be some some issues where he's having a, a, a time period that we're learning to adjust that um, you know becomes difficult. So uh, yeah, I, I would say that's the thing I'm most fascinated by is. Yeah, not only his velocity, but how he would adjust if it doesn't come all the way back, which you figure at some point that will happen in his career. You know, maybe not now, but, you know, when it does, I think that gets real interesting. We're talking to Mark Herrig, who recently started his new beat on the national level for The Athletic, and one of your more uh, groundbreaking stories already was the one on the um, owners and, uh, you know, pushing arbitration prices down, celebrating that drive with a, a championship belt and I mean, did did you anticipate the kind of reaction that story got obviously there were so many players who uh, used that story as a platform to you know offer their reactions and what they think of the state of baseball and and do you think that that story could um, you know be the impact of some kind of fallout in in labor negotiations or I, I know someone at Fangraphs wrote a story about possible legal cases that the players could have what kind of fallout do you see from from that piece you know I, I think fallout wise more than anything you already mentioned it I, I think it's sort of one of those instances where if you're a player and you hear something like this it, it's a you know literally a tangible example of what if you're a player you kind of feared which is, you know, feeling vulnerable and, and the level of disrespect for the league and all that stuff. So, um, you know, to me, I, I think the real fallout, if any, would just be more awareness for the players that these things are going on. And, you know, um, you know, like that's mostly, to me, the, the biggest thing. I, I didn't anticipate that reaction, to be honest with you. I, I didn't think it was going... Uh, to make that many people angry, you know, from the players' side, but that was probably stupid on my part, you know, because I think it might, and maybe I underrated how angry they are in general, you know, like with the labor labor situation. So um, obviously they're not happy with it. I think there's pretty good reason why they're not happy with it. You know, any reasonable person can see what their qualms are, what they have been, especially given the fact that the sport's a $10 billion industry right now. You would think that would be enough money for, for to go around to keep people happy, but it's not. So, um, yeah, when we talk about fallout, I think it's just more about awareness more than anything else. And, um, you know, and I think the reaction reflected that. All right, great. That's Mark Rigg. You can get all his work on The Athletic, a subscription that is well worth anyone's dime, if you ask me or Sean. Mark, thanks so much for coming back and joining us here, and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. All right, thanks a lot. You too. Good luck. Thank you. All right, thanks so much to Mark Rigg for joining us uh, once again and for the first time here at, at the new place, I guess you could say. And uh, Gary Sanchez, one of the major bright spots for the Yankees so far, three home runs on Sunday. I was, I was, I was watching. I was hoping he would get four. He was going up against a, a position player on the mound and just got under it, and that would have been pretty cool to see. But as, as we talked with um, 
with Mark, and he and he brought up a, a really good point. Something that I brought up in a story coming out on Pinstripe Alley tomorrow. Um, Aaron Judge with the shoulder. His his X stats plummeted in August in 2017 after he hurt his shoulder in the home run derby, and um, you you saw that with Sanchez all of last year. And I think the shoulder is something that can really take the power out of a guy's bat. And Sanchez, after offseason surgery, seems to be doing much better now. Obviously, he's on a tear. His X stats are through the roof, tops in baseball. So he's ripping the ball with that incredibly hard rates so you know hopefully this is uh the re-releasing of the kraken i guess you could say <laughs> yeah the kraken has been healed they um i mean he's looked great i mean you know you pretty much covered it all with you know in terms of his exit velocity and everything like that um but he's he's knocking the cover off the ball right now and you know like i had mentioned earlier this is a great opportunity for gary to win back some of the knuckleheads that stopped believing in him because I mean, unlike with other players, he really just had a down down year after pretty much being everything you could ever hope for for a rookie catcher for the you know the first um, what nine months of his career, which is a season and a half. So uh, I'm really excited that Gary's back and he's looked really good behind the plate, even you know blocking balls with pieces of him that he wouldn't want to block them with. <laughs> but uh, that was extremely painful last night. Yeah, he's had some Painful. bad luck because that happened in the 2017 wild card game too, right? I mean, that's what gave us the classic uh, David Robertson reaction. I, I think I've only seen that happen twice. Uh, I mean, obviously I've seen replays of it like with Yadier Molina last year and, and everything, but I think I've only seen it happen live twice that I can remember, and both times it was to Gary. Yeah, poor so, guy. Yeah, he's, he's got some bad luck, but uh, yeah, no, he's looked really good behind the plate. He actually blocked a pitch the next pitch, which I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, but he's been really good back there. He's obviously still going to have problems because he's still a young catcher, and, and that just happens, and people need to accept that. Posada had a lot of trouble early in his career with pass balls, uh, which people seem to forget about. But um, Gary's an even better hitter than that, and he, he, he's showing it right now. So I'm really excited uh, for a full season of a healthy Sanchez and uh, judge keeps doing what he's doing. And hopefully with the two of them and you sprinkle in Luke Voigt, um, we you didn't even talk about Glaber Torres, who, I mean, he owned opening day at Camden Yards um, on yeah. Thursday. Uh, what what a day. Uh, you know, there's there's the pieces here for them to still be competitive and tread water till they get um, at at least Stanton, CC and, and Batances back. Um you know, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like last night had almost a little bit of a playoff atmosphere. It was a competitive game against one of the best teams in the league, and it's definitely unfortunate that the Yankees couldn't come away with a win when they were holding a late lead, especially with the bullpen that they have. But, there, you know, even with all these injuries, Torres, Judge obviously getting his power stroke back, hit a couple home runs uh, in the Baltimore series, and then took Verlander deep last night he his power stroke is there sanchez we talked about and you mentioned his product productivity behind the plate i think uh other than a couple early struggles with his accuracy throwing uh to second base on, on a lot of balls that could have been stopped as well but you know obviously the error is a somewhat faulty statistic because it just goes on the human element but you know there's plenty of Plenty still of offensive production from all-star caliber players that the Yankees can hopefully uh, hop on the backs of and ride until some of these reinforcements arrive, hopefully within the next couple weeks. 
Yeah, I, I haven't heard anybody doing any baseball activity yet. I know Hicks was throwing, but I don't think he started swinging, and I haven't heard anything on Stanton. So it seems like it's going to be this way for at least another two weeks. But um, hopefully once May rolls around, we have the fully operational Death Star that Cashman spoke about, um, which was not as as promising as once hoped, but it is what it is. So, um, it, you know, it'll be nice to get Hicks and, and Stan in there, especially if Frazier keeps hitting, because that, that's an added bonus. I love Brett Gardner. You know, he's been one of my favorite players since he came up. It was just like a cool story about a guy who basically walked onto his college team and then got drafted in the third round by the Yankees. But, um, you know, his time has come and it, it's starting to pass, unfortunately. And I'd rather, you know, if you want a hitter that's going to scare pitchers, Frazier is that guy. Gardner still serves a purpose, but, you know, you want to just use him, in, like you said, sparingly because you don't want to wear him out. Absolutely. So, you know, like you said, two weeks away from some of the guys starting to come back based on updates that we've been getting from down in Tampa. So uh, to anyone new, we usually take this time towards the end to uh, say something we're looking forward to with the Yankees this week. So obviously – a certain player returning is probably not going to be one of those because they are still more than a week away. So, uh, Sean, what's uh, what's your Yankees storyline that you're looking forward to seeing unfold this week? It's always hard to come up with something after a loss like they had last night, but I try to reconcile and saying, well, they got to Verlander, which they never do, and that that's a good sign, and and blah blah blah. But um, I'm actually really excited for Wednesday's game to see Paxton on the bump um, and and um, against McHugh. I mean, that, that should be a really competitive game. I think tonight you're kind of lined up for failure with Loisaga against Cole, but baseball's baseball, so you never know what's going to happen. And then it'll be nice to see them come back for a, a regular uh, nice weekend homestand. You know, you got the White Sox and everything else. And then uh, I probably the day we record, we face off with the Red Sox for the first time who are playing some terrible baseball. So definitely a lot to look forward to, um, you know, in terms of hopefully squeaking out a couple wins here and just trying to I, I guess what I'm looking forward to is that fact that the Yankees have started to play regular baseball and they're not horrible. Like they played a competitive game against a World Series contender last night. They swept the Orioles like they should. So that taste of the first series against the Orioles and the the Tigers has started to dissipate. So I'm just looking forward to not so frustrating Yankee baseball this week. <laughs> I, I think I'm just looking forward to more Clint Frazier. I was about to say Red Thunder, but I know he doesn't really like that nickname. He said he likes Wildling, but he had to cut his hair, which which sucks. But, um, I, yeah, I'm just looking forward to more Clint Frazier. Hopefully he can continue this this hot stretch. I think that's a great story. He, he battled through some scary concussion symptoms last year and obviously that's a hard thing to shake and making the most of his opportunity now and it's great to see so i'm looking forward to more home runs by clint frazier hopefully or some you know, 110 mile an hour singles with that wicked bat speed he has and uh hopefully he can continue that through the next week but um i think that's all we got for this uh new pilot episode the uh the re-air, I guess you could call it, of, of Bomber Brothers. Yeah, the, re, the rebranding. The rebranding, yeah. Hopefully hopefully it's better than when the Yankees moved to the new stadium. Yeah, we definitely missed the old stadium. 
Although since they opened, since they they did the changes, I do like the feel of it a little bit better. It's a little not you know having those kind of open air places on the side of the restaurant. It's got a little bit of a different feel to it. But yeah, of course you miss the old place. It's, I mean that's where we freaking grew up basically. Yeah. Yep. And it definitely held a I think a more profound noise level just because the the sec the tiers were more on top of each other. It kept things more closed in. You look at you know, the aerial views and compare the two stadiums. Obviously, the new Yankee Stadium is much more, I guess, spread out, I guess you could say, and maybe doesn't hold noise as much. I mean, still it gets crazy in there. Just look at the wild card games and the bird home run and the ALDS and the ALCS comebacks in 2017. So hopefully we can hear more of those this year, and um, hopefully all of our uh, new listeners here at, uh, at Pinstripe Alley will follow us along the way and what Hopefully is another playoff-bound season. We'll see how the Yankees handle these injuries. But we'll be back next week to talk about uh, what we hope is some updates on some of those injured players starting to make their way back. But first, big series to finish against Houston. And then first meeting with Boston, which we'll record again right around then, try to bring on another guest. But until then, thanks, everyone, for listening to this first episode of Bomber Brothers, and we'll see you all next week. See you later, everybody.